Welcome to the Captive Thoughts Podcast. I am your host, Kyle McCallum. I am a teaching elder at Freedom Fellowships, a church located in Kent, Ohio. And I'm joined by my co-host, Adam Esterly. Welcome, Adam. Hey, how's it going? Adam is uh, also a teacher here at Freedom Fellowships, and he's also newly on staff. Yes, this week. This week is his first week. How are you liking it so far? Oh, it's great. Good. You like your coworkers? Uh, yeah, they're all right. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah, so uh, Adam, also a, ba- a Bible teacher. He's also going to be working on our tech stuff. Um, at any rate, Captive Thoughts Podcast, yeah, here we're all about diving into uh, theological issues um, and studying some scripture ourselves. And today, we want to talk about discipleship. So discipleship, uh, it has different practice. People practice discipleship different ways based on, you know, the church that they're in. And also people are going to mean different things by the word discipleship. And so we want to talk about uh, discipleship as we understand it, as it's taught in the Bible, and then also how we put discipleship into practice at Freedom Fellowships and why we do that, and also some pitfalls to avoid. But first, we want to talk about what discipleship is. How would you describe discipleship, Adam? Yeah, um, I would describe it as, uh, you know, a a relationship primarily. Um, So I guess to differentiate it between what the world would call mentorship. Yeah. uh, yeah. Discipleship is different in that sense where we're not just trying to, you know, build someone up to be an apprentice of ours at some specific skill or trade. Um, You know, I'm not trying to make disciples of tech-related things. But rather, biblical discipleship goes a step further in in the sense of it is about the relationship specifically between the two people, but between the, uh, we'll say, the more mature, the older, um, helping the younger to become, uh, uh, have a deeper relationship with Christ, ultimately. Exactly. Yeah, I would, you know, say the process of discipleship is very much about bringing people into spiritual maturity. So it's a process by which people come into spiritual maturity, um, and we put that in practice uh, one-on-one or one-on-two often in our church. Um, but the Bible has much to say about discipleship also. Uh, the first passage, Matthew chapter 28, and 18 through 20, this is uh, Jesus' um, command to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting to me about the, the passage is it's, it goes beyond just the convert, Right. The command isn't to go, therefore, and make converts, which would just be people who receive Christ, you know, and then you kind of move on. But a disciple, it's a, you know, it's, it's, there's more of a commitment involved in that, that uh, we're making disciples. In other words, we're drawing, you know, Jesus is using us to draw people to him. And then uh, through that relationship, they, they start that relationship and then they deepen in that relationship. And so they're growing in maturity as part of a process. So there's actually a command to make sure people are not just converted, but discipled too. And uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 2 also describes this. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's really describing there like a process of multiplication. It's almost like a challenge to Timothy, go and multiply yourself. Teach mm-hmm. men who can then teach other men, 
right? So it's like a process uh, that continues that, that, that you're teaching them. And yeah, it's, it goes even beyond mentoring, but, uh, you know, guiding them along a relationship with, uh, with Christ and, and uh, you know, deepening that maturity. Yeah, we brought that verse up in our LTC class or our leadership theology course. Um, and I think students were pretty surprised about the levels of multiplication there and I guess the quote-unquote generations yes. that Paul is jam-packing just in one verse. Because, the, you know, you look at this, you can, you can miss it if you blink, but he's saying, Timothy, you go and, and teach other people what you've heard from me. So you have three generations right there. It's Paul yes. to Timothy to other people. But then those faithful men you're raising up, make them, help them along their journey to become mature in Christ where they are able to then teach other people, which would be your, your fourth generation there. And so Christ, um, or I should say the biblical um, call for discipleship is not just a one generational thing. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, raise up a, a guy or two, um, but, but the whole point would be for them to then be able to raise up more men. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, it is, it is a challenge to get deep there and it's a challenge to really train, you know, it's, it's about training so that they can even teach. And, um, you know, this was actually Jesus's pattern himself. You know, he modeled discipleship. He practiced discipleship. Uh, he had 12 disciples able to handle a lot. You know, that's, uh, that's Jesus for you. He can mm. handle a lot. He has 12 disciples. Yes, um, now, it's interesting, though, when you look at the life of Jesus and read about him in the Gospels, you find that he spends the majority of his time with these 12 guys. You know, this is where his time investment is. This is where his effort is primarily. You know, he does his preaching, he does his teaching, and he's traveling around, but he's always with the disciples, mm-hmm. and he's always teaching the disciples. And so it's obvious that, that Jesus, is, while he was, you know, had his ministry on earth, his interest was in uh, raising up the few, because I think you recognize that it's really hard, uh, impossible, to disciple and raise up personally yourself, you know, thousands all at once. You know, you can teach, you can perform miracles and wow and amaze, mm-hmm. but to disciple, to raise up leaders, you know, that's with a few. It starts with a few, but the idea then is you raise up the few, and then those few go on to raise up a few more of their own each, they go to raise more and the multiplication effect kicks in. And then, you know, over time starts out slow, but over time, you know, you, you have countless disciples yeah. and people who are not just, not just converts, not just Christians, but, um, teachers and leaders yep. too. So that, that's kind of the idea of discipleship. Um, yeah, you see that with, um, you see that with Christ in almost an counterintuitive way where, say, for instance, he goes on his road on the road there to uh, raise the dead girl who ends up dying on the way. And he only allows, um, I believe, just a, a couple, maybe like one, two or three of his disciples in with him to witness the raising. Yeah. Um, but you have the masses. You have, you have a big crowd of people who followed him there, a crowd of people outside the house. They're laughing at him, saying that, you know, when he says she's just sleeping. But yet you you you'd think that if... If that was me, you know, I'd want the whole crowd to see, you know, bust down the wall to the house, let everyone look in on this room as I, as I do a ridiculously awesome miracle of, of yeah. raising a, raising the dead. But, but he focuses in on his guys. He's yes. like, no, you guys are only the privileged ones to be able to see this miracle firsthand. Yeah, absolutely. And so he focuses on the few and I, you know, I, I find such an interesting um, counter to that or, you know, in the church today, it seems by and large, 
there's a focus more on the masses. That is, how do we draw yeah. the big crowds and entertain the big crowds and teach the big crowds? Um, it's it's an interesting focus in the church today because that again doesn't seem to be Jesus's focus. Even though he did those things, uh, he focused on raising up the few. And I think this is where the church goes wrong: is when they're focusing on drawing the big crowds and entertaining, but they're not focused on raising true, mature disciples who can then go in turn and raise up others. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the church has failed in this. And I, I was looking up some statistics on this. Uh, Barna has a study called Discipleship in the Church, and uh, they show some alarming statistics as far as how church, the church at large is accomplishing this. But they found that less than half of Christians interviewed in this study said their church sets goals and expectations for their congregation. So it's kind of, in other words, you know, people, it's, people come to church to be entertained or get their spiritual fix, spiritual fill, but mm-hmm. there's not an expectation that, you know, me as a Christian attending here, you know, I need to grow and uh, grow and, and also contribute too. Um, only one in five Christians said their church has a way of evaluating spiritual maturity. So in a lot of churches, they're not even thinking about this. They're not looking to see like, are people growing? Are people maturing? It's not even a question that's being asked. Which um, is fascinating, considering a you know the biblical mandate there in Colossians one, where Paul's saying make sure every person is mature in Christ. Yes. So it's not just uh, the pastor who's mature. It's not mm-hmm. just the staff or some quote unquote leaders that are mature, but every single person yeah. that that would attend should yep. be being raised up. And so the question would be, how is that done? Um, why is only one in five? Yeah. Uh, churches evaluating that. This is an interesting statistic. It says that most Christians uh, involved in a small group say that they are on track spiritually, but the research shows that these groups actually falter when facilitating true transformation. In other words, there's a lot of Christians out there that think like, yeah, we're doing good spiritually, but you know, when you know you're actually looking into the the nitty gritty of it, no real transformation is taking place. Um, and also says, most believers who say they want to have a deep commitment to the faith are not involved in an intentional effort to grow spiritually. This shows there's a desire, which you would expect. If you, tr- if you truly receive Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, there should be a desire uh, that the Lord cultivates, the Holy Spirit cultivates, to want to grow and to want to change. So it makes sense that the majority of Christians interviews say, that, I do want that change and I want to mature. And yet most aren't involved in any kind of process to grow in maturity, a.k.a. to be discipled. You know, the desire's there, but in practice, it's not happening. Um, And then ultimately, this was interesting too, when you get into it, one out of 45 Christians attend a class uh, specifically for the maturity. They're like taking their, you know, their walk uh, seriously to the point, yeah, willing to take classes. One out of 45. One out of 45. To repeat that one. One out of of 45. (laughs) Pretty dire. Um, so what we have in the church today by the stats is that there is a serious discipleship problem in the church today. Uh, why is that? Would you say, Adam, if you could get, if you had to guess, um, perhaps there's, there's just a, um, lack of understanding how, you know, like Paul's saying there to Timothy, I taught you, you teach other men who can raise up other men. Um, but what if, you know, you're coming around your family wasn't Christian growing up and you're just coming to the church to check it out. Where do you even begin? Yeah. How, how do you even get involved in discipleship? What is discipleship? Yeah. There is a lack of understanding too, because 
you know, I've, I've actually talked to, to Christian, some, some Christians to other churches, and you know, when I asked about, uh, when I asked about what are you doing about discipleship, what does your discipleship look like, you know, almost every time it's always, well, I go to a class. Yes. I attend a class. And you know what? Again, that's better than most Christians who don't even attend a class, as we saw. But, um, you know, most churches view discipleship as, you know, again, this is primarily being driven by the top leadership. Uh, it's done in the like a class type setting, so you might have you know whatever twenty, thirty, forty other people, um, you know, come show up for a class and then you're gone. In other words, very non relational. Um, but the relational aspect of discipleship, like what you see Jesus practicing, you know, this kind of one on one, or in his case, one on twelve. Either way, <laughs> um, that's severely lacking. I would say. Would yeah, say and, so. And there is a place for classes. Yeah. But we, we differentiate it here in, you know, Identity Project, Freedom Fellowships, uh, as a class is different than discipleship. Yes. Discipleship has its place where we, you need um, that, that one-on-one, one-on-two uh, meeting or, or, uh, or fellowship, really, to be able to dig into real needs. Yes. Whereas the class is also good because people need, you know, theological training and they need to understand what the Bible says and be able to read it for themselves, um, be able to critique teachings they hear and things like that. So they're both needed for sure, um, but I don't, I don't think a class is a substitute for discipleship by any means. Yeah, I, I think the expectation of the church at large, too, is that, uh, you know, our staff, our pastor, yep. you know, he, he needs to be doing the work of growing people. That's what we're paying people. him for. Yeah, that's what we're paying him for. Um, and, you know, he should be running the classes. He should be doing discipleship. He should be doing all the, the shepherding. He should be doing all the teaching. And so then there's no expectation on the body of Christ at large, like, you know, because that's how the Bible describes the church is like, it's like a body with each member of the body serving a specific function with specific gifts. Um, that's certainly lost today, you know, how, how each person's contributing to the body, but it's, you know, the expectations laid on staff, on the pastor to be doing all this work. And so you can't really truly disciple someone um, you know, have discipleship when it's just one person trying to do the work among hundreds or thousands even, that you just simply lose discipleship. You yep. don't have it anymore. Discipleship, you know, is something that we are all challenged to do as Christians. Go, therefore, make disciples, right? And and so that's something that ultimately should be a goal of every Christian is that we can grow in the process of discipleship and so that we can turn around and then disciple others too in a, a, a relational kind of way, Um Anyway, so yeah, the church uh, isn't doing very good as far as this goes. Uh, there's no wonder that there's a lack of spiritual maturity out there. There's a lot of people who identify as Christians, very few in my experience that are truly walking and mature in their faith. And without discipleship, there's no wonder there. Um, anyway, so yeah, let's talk about discipleship in our church and how we've you know decided strategically how to implement discipleship because it is commanded in Scripture. And so... How do we do it? We kind of alluded to that. Um, you know, our, our discipleship, what it'll look like is we'll have a more mature believer meet with one or two, sometimes even three, but usually one or two others uh, on a weekly or biweekly basis to study scripture together and talk about life and form a relationship with one another. And through that relationship, you know, develop a element of accountability that, you know, they truly know each other now and they're looking out. You know, especially the discipler, the person doing the discipling is looking out uh, for the person being discipled and help guiding them uh, on their in their life. 
Yeah, accountability is huge too, and a place, um, discipleship being a place um, to talk about things and to address issues that perhaps would be um, inappropriate in a, in, a, in a class or at our central teachings, some big meeting and stuff. Um, because there are, there are, everyone has character flaws, and people notice it. Maybe it gets brought out. Maybe you have an angry outburst, say, at a, at a meeting with 40 or 50 people. But to, you know, just confront that person in front of everybody yeah. is, is perhaps inappropriate and awkward. But discipleship allows that context of um, getting down to the nitty-gritty. And, and this person knows me, and they know my anger outbursts, and they're able to confront me and let me know that I was uncool what I did last week. And then they're able to help me out and work through this. Like, let's look at some scripture. Let's let's um, let's talk about some specifics on how the Lord can transform your heart in this. Yeah. And allow that intimate conversation to be had. Yeah, there is that the accountability, having issues issues brought up. Uh, but there's also the element of encouragement too, because you know, a pastor can throw out encouragements during a sermon, but it's not tailored to you, yep. right? It's, it might not be directed to you. Like we each need encouragement, and we're commanded to encourage one another. Um, but if you don't really know each other, how can you possibly do that effectively? Discipleship provides a context there where you know each other's uh, struggles and we know each other's triumphs too. And so we're going to, you know, root for each other and encourage one another. Yeah. One of the, one of the elements we teach for, uh, you know, hermeneutics, homiletics would be one interpretation, many applications. Sure. And so when you're teaching a passage at a central teaching with 100, 200 people in the crowd, Maybe you only have a couple applications that would be, you know, maybe the best ones or the most general ones. But then when you study that same passage in discipleship, now I can pull out of another application that's more specific to your needs and my needs. And, and let's get down to the nitty gritty even further. Absolutely. So that, you know, we found in implementing that, uh, you know, a tremendous increase in the percentage of our church that is, you know, growing and maturing, you know, and, and who are mature. That's one of the things that, that I, I think we've found through this process is like it's it's not too much of a, a burden, you know, to be able to look and find a new leader if you're launching a new ministry, for example, because there's leaders all over the place because they've been raised through discipleship. Um, so, yeah, you get higher quality leaders. You get more people who are capable of leading, which is phenomenal. Um, what other benefits have you seen through, you know, discipleship, through raising people up in this in the way that we do it? Yeah. Um, I think there's a relational aspect of just building friendships yeah, and enjoying yeah. fellowship. So for instance, um, you know, I disciple some younger guys who, what are they, maybe seven or eight years younger than me. And so I probably would not normally be friends with them. You know, we, didn't even, we weren't even in high school at the same time. I was graduating college when they were just becoming freshmen. So how am I supposed to ever become genuine friends with them? Yeah. But through discipleship, that happens. I mean, and you're raising them up to not, you're raising them up to be peers. Yes. Um, where, where it's not, it's, it's moving less and less from the mature, helping out the immature, but to the point where like, wow, we're, we're just peers now and, yes. we're, and we're friends and we're doing ministry together. We're, we're colleagues, we're co-leaders, whatever word you want to use. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's pretty cool to be able to have multi-generational friends perhaps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the other benefit too, I'm just thinking like, you know, my, my dad, for example, he uh, leads our church. He's uh, one of our senior elders. And you know, the thing is, when he's done, when he steps down from this role, there's not a worry of, like, where are the next leaders going to come from? Because he's been able to raise up, uh, you know, many people. And, um, you know, there's, there's lots of leaders. And so we're not going to have to go to our local seminary 
and hire our next senior pastor because he's raised up a bunch, you know, that, that could potentially uh, fill those shoes through discipleship. Um, you know, a lot of churches have to rely on hiring out because they don't have leaders that they're developing and raising up because the discipleship isn't there. So a lot of uh, tremendous benefits here. And, um, you know, I would say, you know, having a process like this and really prioritizing discipleship is crucial. But also the reality is when you put discipleship into practice, especially in this way, there are inherent dangers. There are things to look out for. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk here about things about discipleship, the way we do discipleship that we have to be aware of and uh, sober-minded about so that we don't go a dangerous or bad direction. One thing I'll start uh, is that, you know, you lose an element of control. So when you have, for example, a traditional church model, you have your one pastor who's doing the work of ministry, the work of discipling, all this stuff himself. One benefit you get is that everything is very tightly. He knows what he's going to teach. He knows he's not going to teach something bad or messed up. Um, he's not worried that someone else is going to come in and say something wrong or incorrect or overstep their bounds, you know, because he's tightly controlling, he's doing, or a very small group of people are doing that. Right. So you have an element of control there, which is nice. And then, but when you open up discipleship to like, you know, lots of people can disciple and this should be available to the church at large for, for Christians to engage in, you lose an element of control, right? You might have, you risk more people engaging in discipleship and saying, you know, having, not having the experience, not having seminary training, for example, and uh, who knows what they could be saying, right? Sure. So that yeah, can be a little scary. I could, yeah. see, uh, I could see why churches would want to stay away from that for yeah. that reason. <laughs> exactly. You, know, you, you trust uh, the senior pastor because you've heard him teach every week for the past 20 years. Yes. Um, so what he's saying is good, but but to have a, a, a Christian who just got saved a year or two ago, like, whoa, that's freaky. I know. And we act, we've, we've, we have that kind Absolutely. of thing. Like this person's only been, you know, saved a couple of years and yet they're discipling someone that they've, you know, reached out to, brought the gospel to, you know, but yeah, again, they're a very young Christian. Is that wise? I mean, I understand. I get the criticism. It's a fair criticism, I'd say, but we kind of look at it this way. You know, if you have been walking as a Christian for two years, that means you got two years over yep. this person that you just led to Christ, for example. So you got something to teach. But that it's also why it's, it is crucial that we have good training in place for people who are going to be doing the work of discipleship, right? So we do have the classes there. We do have put a huge emphasis on equipping yep. and Bible study and, uh, you know, um, you know, meeting regularly, this kind of things to make sure people are not teaching things that they shouldn't or engaging in practices they shouldn't because, um, you know, that is, that's a risk you, you certainly have. And, you know, unfortunately we've seen people, you know, do or say things, you know, that's like, whoa, that's yep. not exactly right. And so you have, you have to kind of allow for it and recognize, okay, if people are going to, if a lot of people are going to be doing discipleship, there are going to be mistakes made. And so are we, A, prepared to like, head them off before they start, equip, put in there, but also are we ready? Do we have our eye on what's going on in sure. our individual ministries here? Who's discipling who um, and following up, being accountable there? Um, yeah, and it's the, the kind of work they're doing. It's the benefit of the relational model. Cause, so for instance, yeah, the guy who's been a Christian for only a year is, is discipling and that might be scary in, a, in certain situations, but, but hey, it's relational. That means that 
that person is also being discipled by, say, a Christian who's um, been a Christian for 10 years. And so that, so because of the relational aspect of that, you're, you're meeting together and that person should be asking, hey, how, how is your discipleships working with, yes. the, with the younger guy? And then, oh, wow, you said that, that was cool, encouragement, or wow, you said that, that was, uh, that was a little wrong, let's check out some scripture and, and yes. being able to kind of uh, do that multi-layer there of, of discipleship where, um, I don't know, I find that a lot with, with the guys I meet with is that, uh, sure, we're talking about stuff that's going on in their lives, but I want to know what's going on in their disciples' lives too. Yes. And how are you, and they, you know, talk about strategies of how to address that or how they can encourage them and um, next steps. Yes. Another criticism of this kind of way of doing discipleship, uh, be controlling. That is, you have people who are reporting, reporting to an older believer, sure. you know, about their life and why not just let people live their own lives and let the Holy Spirit be the one guiding them. You know, when you have people, you know, discipling others, it's kind of like, yeah, that person's like controlling that other person. That's a, you know, a mode of control or something. And in uh, a lot of this modern day criticism here comes out of criticism of the shepherding movement, uh, which we also criticize because there's a lot of bad elements to this. Um, but the shepherding movement came out of the late 1970s, early 1980s, sort of came out of the Jesus freak movement, actually. Um, but this was a movement actually more in the charismatic Pentecostal kind of tradition. And it's where, the, you know, they would set up these mentorships, these shepherd, they would have people what they would call shepherds. And the shepherd would be in charge of a few people. And those few people would report to the, their shepherd. And they would, uh, the shepherd exerted a lot of control over the, their sheep who they were shepherding. So whether there was like three or four or five people that were reporting to him, they would also be tithing to their shepherd. They'd be giving the shepherd their money oh, wow. um, to then go and give to the church. They'd be, you know, laying up out their, their checkbooks. Their every, like everything about their lives are supposed to be an open book. And they're supposed to kind of report to their shepherd before making any kind of decisions um, just to make sure that they're making the right spiritual uh, decisions, which is a sick and bad way to do discipleship. You know, we, we, we do not like the shepherding movement. And, uh, you know, this is where that, that becomes an abuse of spiritual authority because while accountability is good and it's good to, um, you know, have people that can help advise, you know, that's what they are. Ultimately they're, they're supposed to be there to advise and to help not to control and dominate, you know, make decisions for them, controlling every aspect of their life. You know, this is where the shepherding movement definitely went in a sick direction. And, you know, if we're going to be discipling one-on-one or one-on-two, one-on-two, then, you know, we need to be aware of not abusing our authority because that risk is there, right? Like you, like someone's meeting with you to learn from you. And so they're putting a lot of trust in you. Mm-hmm. And so what would be inherently unloving is to abuse that trust to, you know, then go and control them and to, you know, tell them what they are and are not allowed to do. And, uh, you know, that they're, they can't make decisions through going, except by going through you. Not good. We do have to watch out for those kind of controlling tendencies. And that's why, you know, as part of our training at our church is, you know, kind of exploring our, what our boundaries are um, as people who are discipling. You know, we're not supposed to control. Um, you know, we're not financial experts, for example. So it's not like discipleship. Part of that is uh, we're telling you what to do with your money and, you know, that kind of stuff. We're, we're, you know, simply there to help, 
to advise. And the discipleship should be a, like a trust established there that, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm here to help, not here to control. And you can trust me to give you advice uh, in your life. And, that, and you'll actually be willing to, you know, listen to that, take that seriously. Sure. Because no matter how mature your discipler is, whoever you're meeting with, um, they are still subject and um, under the authority of Scripture. Yes. And so they, they're not um, a replacement for God in your life, yep. but rather they should be under God's authority. And so therefore, you know, the, the boundary set up there for them, they, you know, they should, they should realize I'm a, a mere mortal. Um, I don't, I'm not omniscient. That's a good point, you know, because this was one of the big issues of the uh, shepherding movement is that, you know, it ended up disintegrating because, yeah, so much authority, so much power was given in the hands of these shepherds that when the shepherd would fail or have a moral failing or something or leave the church, you know, everyone that they were shepherding would be gone or lose their faith because everything was tied into their shepherd. Um, And, yeah, we're not supposed to have our faith tied into any one man except Jesus Christ, you know, and and, uh, so, you know, not leaning on someone else to you know, give us all the faith to live our spiritual lives for us, but actually take ownership of our spiritual lives. And so that that's, would be, that's how we teach, you know, if you're discipling someone, your role, you know, is not to be their decision maker. Um, and it's not to be, you know, controlling in that way. It's, it's to um, help advise and guide. And that's why, you know, it takes us to our next point. Uh, who you choose to disciple is of huge importance. Who you choose to disciple because I don't think, would you say discipleship is for everyone? I kind of already led into it. <laughs> uh, no, not everyone. Not everyone uh, wants to be for one. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. you know that's what, that's kind of following the uh, the boundaries of of uh, scripture in the sense of we can't force people to f- uh, follow Christ this specific way. You have yes. to do it my way. Um, maybe maybe someone's just like I'm totally content with being a Christian and not going any further in my spiritual walk. And and guess what? God um, honors that, and perhaps God wants more for them. But at the same time, God honors that. Yeah. And so, who are we to? Uh, God not... honors free will, so yeah, free will. are we yep. not to as well? Yes. Yeah. So everyone, not everyone is going to be discipled, and not everyone should be. You know, should be people getting discipled should be the ones that you know genuinely want this and. and uh, desire to grow spiritually. And so they're coming into this, you know, with the openness, um, you know, to direction, you know, from the Lord. And um, so, you know, I think I, I've seen this mistake, you know, in, in years past in our church, just like, you know, we emphasize discipleship, how, you know, it's, it's really, it's crucial. And so, you know, people will try to disciple people who clearly are not like fully on board, you know, they're kind of like, eh, you know, I kind of like Jesus, I'm saved now, but I, you know, eh, I'm not sure. Um, that person may not need uh, disciple. They should, they should not be getting engaged in discipleship right away unless you know they are convinced. You know they want to take their spiritual walk to the next level and and uh, you know make a, a a commitment to the Lord. Like Romans twelve talks about that commitment, um, the, you know, our act of worship, that presenting ourselves as uh, instruments of righteousness uh, to the Lord. And you know not everyone wants to do that. Yeah, even Christians. Not every Christian wants to do that. And that and that kind of gets at what we were saying before about, um, you know, the the inherent dangers of discipleship. And sometimes it gets messy, and people get angry, and feel like you're controlling and stepping over boundaries. And I guess what I'll say to that is it 
it makes sense not to do discipleship the way we do. And I don't think we ever would do it our way unless it was the biblical way. Yeah. <laughs> unless Christ is calling us. Because it doesn't make sense. Why are we? Why would Christ call on um, on, on, on everyone to make uh, disciples, right? Yeah. Every, every Christian. That's, that's it's, um, it's totally contrary to the world system where it says, you know, you need 40 years of experience to run this business. Um, yeah. And we wouldn't do it that way. Unless Christ, unless Christ called, and there and there's so many reasons to um, to embrace that uh, 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 that model because every single person who's a Christian has spiritual giftings. They have a role to play. Yes. They're a valuable member of the body of Christ. And so, who's to say that um, this one one person or this select group of people have the the sole ability to to disciple the whole entire local church? It's it's um. Yeah, it's not, it's not the biblical way. Yeah. So we're certainly all called to engage in that work. And, uh, you know, great place to start. If you've never been uh, discipled by anyone or met regularly with a Christian who is older than you, more experienced than you, you know, I would give that a shot. You know, if that's something um, that sounds interesting to you, you know, ask an older believer who you know, um, if they'd be willing to meet with you and teach you. That's a great place to start uh, with it. Otherwise, you know, for those of you who are looking to disciple someone, you know, that's through ministry, you know, through winning people, um, look for the people who are open, willing, because if you also like try to disciple someone who is not really there yet, not actually that interested in it, what you end up is with someone who will, you know, go along with you and agreed with you just to avoid conflict. And, you know, you have what we call man pleasing. It's the idea that, yeah, I'll, I'll say whatever you want to hear. <laughs> and so you don't want a discipleship like that where, you know, one person's just, well, I'm doing whatever you tell me to do. It's like, you know, we, we want to raise up people to be their own person in Christ, you know, and take the ownership of their own walk, you know, not interested in controlling them. Anyway, there's much more we can say about discipleship and there's much more we will say about discipleship in future episodes. This is just part one of our discipleship series in uh, Captive Thoughts. Thank you all for joining us today and we'll see you next time. Have a good one.